Good morning, friends. Let me begin with a word of thanks for the generous hospitality we have received among you this week. Thank you for giving us the invitation to live and learn with you. Let us pray. God, draw near to us as we read and ponder and are shaped by your word. Teach us, mold us, make of us a community that reflects your love and grace. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, starting in verse 15. One of the dinner guests on hearing this said to Jesus, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who have been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to go try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have so many awkward questions to ask about this story, and you're stuck with hearing my questions this morning. So, so many questions. Number one, what is wrong with this guy's friends? I, I mean, their excuses are so incredibly flimsy. The only worst excuses would be, oh, I'm sorry, I'm washing my hair, or, or the dog ate my invitation. The litany of terrible excuses establishes how ludicrous this scene is. Generosity met with disinterest. Disinterest met with anger. Anger met with Hospitality, sort of, I guess. What's wrong with this guy's friends? Number two, what's wrong with this guy? Why does Jesus put a story before us with a master no one likes and an enslaved person who has to do his bidding? Am I okay with a story about a master and a slave? Can such a story be instructive for us today? Number three. Did the poor, the blind, the disabled get a chance to say, no, no, I'm good? Were they invited or were they compelled? Did they have a choice in the matter or did a powerful person exercise that power to fill his house and eat the food he had made for his other 
guests. Number four. The last question is perhaps the most important and perhaps the most awkward. The last question is this. Am I invited, Jesus? You say that none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Is that me, Jesus? Am I invited, Jesus? Is my invitation still good or have I missed it? I have a lot of awkward questions about this story. But that's how parables work, don't they? Parables provoke questions more than they provide answers. They trouble us more than they comfort us. Many of us have missed this because we were, we were saturated with parables and Sunday school and sermons. We have heard these stories so much that we can finish them by rote. The parables don't surprise us anymore because we have heard them a million times. The parables don't shock us because we know how they end. The parables do not alarm us because we assume that their interpretation is simple, it's, it's moralistic, it's straightforward. The parables no longer form us because we have mistaken their awkward questions as simple answers. When Jesus first told these parables, these little stories were alarming, they were shocking, surprising, they were more than a little bit weird. After all, parables are not simple fables. They're, they're not stories with a tidy moral at the end. They're not greeting card bromides. Parables have a sharp edge. Parables shock and offend. Parables disrupt. Parables question us. Parables interrogate us. But still, I have a lot of questions about this story. It's a strange little story, especially if I try to force God to play one of the characters in the parable. Too often our knee-jerk assumption is that God must be the powerful party thrower. But why? Why wouldn't God be found among the poor and the disabled? Plus, why must God be a character in this allegory at all? What if, what if God is not present in this parable, at least not in this allegorical way? What if God is not in the parable so much as God is hovering above this parable? God is not the party host inviting people. After all, the God of Jesus in Luke does not only invite the wealthy and the powerful who can repay God's generosity. Luke's God invites the Pharisee and the sinner, the powerful and the tax collector, the widowed and the the wealthy. Moreover, what kind of God has people refuse a divine invitation to an extravagant feast? God, my friends, is nothing like this forlorn party host, this man so desperate to make sure his party is not wasted, that he will invite the poor and the disabled, if only to fill his home, and perhaps even that empty spot in his soul. If I'm honest, I don't see God in this story. I see God exceeding this story, exceeding the truncated hospitality of the parable's protagonist, opening up the invite list far beyond the original Rolodex 
Later, I'll explain to the seminary students what a Rolodex is, uh, exploding <laughs> our assumptions about who belongs at a table topped with sumptuous food in a room characterized by generous hospitality. If this rich man can be forced, forced to be generous, how much more will a God whose very being is generosity be hospitable to us? I have a lot of questions about this story. There's that last note of condemnation, a note that concerns me, even scares me. The master said to the enslaved person, for I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. They rejected me, so I will turn to others. They were too busy for me, so I will bring someone else in their place. I will shame them with the company I keep in my house. Again, that doesn't sound much like the God Luke's Jesus proclaims. Luke's God does not settle for the least. Luke's God seeks them out. Luke's God does not turn to the wealthy first. Luke's God places those who lack closest to all that they will ever need. So what is this parable doing to us then? What if this parable is not just an allegory, but an alarming picture of the fragility of the powerful amongst us? No, no, God, God is not like this master. But if even this master can be compelled to look high and low for guests, then God, the God of abundance and grace and love, the God of lost coins and lost sheep and lost siblings, that God will stop at nothing to draw us to a table set for you and for me and for all people. And I still have... A lot of questions about this story. But one question I don't have is God's invitation for you and for me. God searches for us in the wide places and the narrow places, the near places and the far places, the bright places and the gloomy places, the happy places and the sad places. God, God searches for you and God invites you to this bountiful table. My friends, God's hands are wide open, and there is but one question before us. Will we hear God's invitation? Will we open our hearts to God and to our neighbors? Or will we be so distracted by the cares of this world that, that we miss it? Even worse, will we, will we be so enamored with the world as it is, rather than the world as it should be? Will we be so seduced by the logics of power echoed from places of privilege? Will we be so lulled by hopelessness and fear that when God invites us, we will find any excuse to avoid the table God has placed before us? But good news, my friends, good news. Even if we miss it, the invitation is not rescinded. God is no bitter host. God will not move down to the next person on God's Facebook friends list. God's list has already looked in the wide places and the narrow places. God is not picky about invitations. No, no, God is an eternal host, ever inviting, ever loving, ever graceful, and ever ready to welcome us back home. 
The invitation is open. The invitation will never close. God is looking for you everywhere. In the wide places and the narrow places. And God's eyes are looking not just for you, but to the people seated, seated to your left and to your right. For those you see and those you don't. For those you expect to see at the Lord's table and those whose presence will cause you to question every bit of theology you have ever held dear. And if God's eyes are looking for you everywhere, what might we do in response to God's generous and expansive invitation? What if that invitation does not end with me, but courses through us and how we move through a world so marked by division and loneliness and grief? but also that deep but sometimes fleeting hope that we might just find a place to belong. What if this story is not a picture of a, of a perfect meal, but of the truncated, fearful hospitality too many of us practice sometimes? What, what if this story inspires us to receive God's generosity, to embrace it, and then give it all away as we look to the margins of our world, wondering who else God is inviting to a table we too often assumes belongs to me, to us, instead of belonging to God. The invitation is open. The invitation will never close. Accept that invitation and delight in those God has searched for in the wide places and the narrow places. Delight in those God has gathered to your left and to your right. Delight in those God has made your kin for, for God's table is expansive and wide and there's always one more chair. I have so many questions about this story. And here's one more question we might take with us. What might it feel like for you and for me in our lives to look to the narrow and the wide places, not just when we are rejected, but as the very first move we make? What might that feel like? I think, my friends, it would feel like the kingdom of God.